Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Two Dudes in a Kitchen with Tyler Florence and Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. All right, welcome into Two Dudes in a Kitchen. I'm Wells Adams alongside People Magazine's Sexiest Man of the Year 1998, Tyler Florence. <laughs> 2003. Oh, that's close, though. <laughs> but close enough, man. It was, uh, yeah, Sexiest Chef Alive, uh, mm. 2003. You know, I own it. That was my year. So I went to a Michelin star restaurant recently. And I don't really know what that means, but I hear that from my bougie friends. Mm -hmm. Can you tell everyone what that means? Is it you can get new tires at this restaurant? Well, Michelin is the holy grail of notoriety when it comes to restaurants, right? And so the Michelin guide, and I'm going to riff on this history because forgive me if I get it wrong, but I feel like it was back in the 20s or the 30s, whenever like automobile transportation specifically in France uh, became with Michelin uh, because they, mm-hmm. they made tires um, when it became popular um, to, to sell more tires to get people on the road. Michelin came up with this guide of restaurants um, because it felt like a fun thing to go do in your car, to go drive from you know this town to that town. And so they kind of came up with this idea called the Michelin guide, right? And it's been around forever. And um, and now it's kind of broken up into a, a, a couple of different things. There's the Babendum Award, um, which is for kind of like inexpensive neighborhood restaurants, which are just super high quality, right? So if you get a Babendum Award, that's a really great like neighborhood restaurant. And then when you get into the star category, um, and that's usually kind of a, a ceremony, right? When it comes to like, it's usually a multi-course degustation menu where, you know, it's like the chef designs everything. And it's like, you know, like somewhere between eight and 15 courses of small little bites uh, with wine pairings and exquisite service and a really, really nice room. Um, but the stars are, you know, that that wonderful goal that every chef is always, you know, pulling for uh, to, 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 you know, to, to feel validated. Right. But that being said, it's not, it's not everything to be honest with you. Right. And I think at the end of the day, when it comes to, you know, uh, running a really good restaurant is just give them what they want. 
right? Do it at a really, really super high quality thing. And then make sure that you're really comfortable with making money. And I, I think, and, and I always try to, you know, tell young restaurateurs that like most important thing of operating a restaurant is not necessarily going for a Michelin star, but, but g- going for f- financial stability with your accountant, right? <laughs> That's the most important thing. This is what I had heard and I, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the idea originally was it was maps. And if you had one star, it was if you were if you lived in that town, you should drive to that restaurant and try it out. If mm-hmm. it was two stars, it, it was if you were on a road trip and you were going through a town, um, and there was a two star restaurant, you should stop and go to that restaurant. If it was three stars, you should make a trip to wherever that is to go there. I don't know if that's true, but I've I've heard that. I always plan my vacations around restaurants. Like we went to France last uh, summer and um, our entire itinerary was based around where we're going to eat at night. Ooh. Yeah. I need to see that itinerary, please. I've got a great list. Please send that over. Let me ask you this. As a chef, what would you rather have, a Michelin star rated store or to win a James Beard Award? I think they're both really great. Uh, you know, I, I, we've, I've been nominated for a James Beard Award Best Chef West Coast two times. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so much great, you know, talent here in, in the Bay Area. And and we're actually on the short list for a Michelin star this year. Um, we didn't get it, um, but uh, we're, we're always kind of pushing for that. I I, I think if you come to uh, Miller and Lux and and it's really hard to get a Michelin star your first year. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm chalking it up to that. But I, I think that's definitely the code we live by. I think all of it's really good, man. You know, it's great publicity for the restaurant. As a restaurant group, we're going to go for a James Beard nomination or we're going to go for a Michelin star. It's a really great way to uh, kind of pull your team together for, you know, potential kind of goal and a fight and we're going to win this. And and so I, I think all those things are, are really, really worth it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not necessarily uh, about, you know, what you want to do. It's about what your customers really want. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you just got to live with a nice blend between all of that. Most restaurants never see their second birthday. That's a real stat. And so I, I think if you can get a restaurant that's successful for five years, 10 years, 15 years, you, you did something amazing. Yeah. Well, speaking of restaurants, we've got some questions from listeners that I wanted to kind of rapid fire at you um, real quick. These are really good questions. Number one, um, if a customer gets hair in the food and they show you that there's hair in the food, what are you supposed to do? From the restaurant's point of view? Well, no, I guess like as the customer, like if there's hair in my food, what do I do? Well, it's like no one's shaving their head in the kitchen and- And I think hairnets are gross, right? So occasionally it'll happen, right? And so um, there's so many blocks and tackles that would have to, you know, so the so the the cook prepares the dish and then the chef de cuisine gives the dish one last blessing and then it goes up into the pass. And then the executive chef who's expediting takes a look at it one more time before it goes out the door and then hands it to the wait staff. And the wait staff has given it one more check and one more look over. So the idea that that a single hair would have to kind of go through all of those eyeballs before it hits the table. And occasionally it does happen. It's, it's happened in my restaurants, right? And so I think you have to apologize. Um, you, you see someone's like luxurious hair on their head and always kind of look, looks really good until you see it on a plate. And then it's like, yeah. all of a sudden it's really gross, right? Um, from the restaurant's perspective, you apologize, right? You whisk the dish away, you replace it for free, right? So, you know, you pick up another salmon dish or another whatever it is, and and then you just fire it quickly and send it back out and you just apologize. And 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 hopefully, you know, someone's has, has, has sort of an adult about it. You know, and they're not going to sort of act like a child and 
you know, freak out. So we're fit. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, when it comes to modifications, do uh, do restaurants hate that? Like, if you're like, yeah, I want this, but uh, can I get this instead of this? And I want this on the side. Like, is that annoying? Should just order like what's on the menu, or is modifications okay? Well, I, I think modifications are really important because you you know you put together this dish that you think is perfect until somebody comes in who likes it, but they want the sauce on the side, or they you know they, they have some sort of uh, allergy intolerance to some sort of element that's on the dish. And, and so we always construct the dishes that, you know, things that are known allergens and, you know, you're, you're talking about gluten, right? Uh, you know, that, that, that's probably the big one. Nuts. That's probably the, the most serious one. Shellfish allergies. That's another really important one as well. Albumin. So some people have, are allergic to garlic. Uh, dairy is one that's oh. really important. So, so you, you kind of, you but there's so many people that, you know, come into the restaurant that you just want to be available for everybody. Right. So um, we build our dishes that can be deconstructed pretty quickly. Yeah. If need be. Right. And so we always think about that too, because like it's, and it feels like, um, you know, uh, when I was a kid or kind of growing up in restaurants, there, there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a table side conversation about uh, allergens and preferences before you took their order. And now it, it's a real communication tool. It's a big must. Uh, we, we had this situation uh, not too long ago in the restaurant where someone had made the reservation an open table had, you know, documented, they had a severe nut allergy, and then they ordered a dish that doesn't have nuts on it. And I swear to God, a piece of pistachio from another plate ended up on their dish. And then, and, and it was just like, Oh my God, how could that possibly happen in our restaurant? And she, and she put it in her mouth. The pistachio, oh, wow. right? My older brother has a, a severe nut allergy, so I, I've lived with that for most of my mm -hmm. life. And so um, she felt it in her mouth immediately. You know, spit it in her napkin, brought it up to the waiter's attention, and then we had to go through and literally just, just almost sanitize the station again one more time, right? Like the pistachio yeah. uh, is a crumble that goes onto another dish. I think the the uh, one of our cooks was kind of spooning the um, the pistachio element of one dish over. Mm -hmm. the, the salmon dish that she had ordered. So it's like, I think the, so that's how we determined that one piece of the pistachio ended up on her plate. Um, but those things are are really important because like, you know, they can be life-threatening for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Last one. I've been to some fancy restaurants that don't have salt and pepper on the table. Is it rude to ask for salt and pepper at restaurants like that? Um, we don't have salt on our table. We do have pepper, right? And okay. And that being said, no one ever uses it. Yeah. We, we're never like really refilling the pepper mills every night. They're just kind of there because it looks like it's really pretty table decoration. Mm -hmm. They're really nice, like French Peugeot uh, pepper mills on the table. Um, but I, I think if you have to put salt and pepper on the table, I think you should re-examine some of the dishes inside the kitchen to make sure that they're balanced properly and they're seasoned properly. You shouldn't really have to ask for that. They should be delicious from the jump. You, you shouldn't really have to think about seasoning for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of restaurants coming up, we have Danielle Kuzinich, who's going to be on the show. And she actually had a really popular wine bar in mm -hmm. San Francisco, right? Yeah. And it was going gangbusters during the pandemic. You were out there. What was the story? Yeah. So, so it, it's a really, really interesting, uh, very, very popular wine bar. And it was uh, four blocks away from Wayfair Tavern, my restaurant mm -hmm. in the financial district. And, and it was just so sad to kind of hear these stories where, you know, restaurants, because like people put all their money and all their heart and all their soul into these places that the public just love. 
And it really becomes like an important meeting place where, you know, events are celebrated and milestones are, you know, are, are toasted too. And, and the, and, and if people can't respect it in the community and they start to damage your restaurant, like it doesn't really happen to my restaurants that much, but, but occasionally we do get tagged um, with spray paint on the outside and mm-hmm. you know, we have to clean the building from time to time, but it's always sad to hear these stories, but this is restaurant reality. This is, this happens. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into some restaurant reality here in a bit. Quick break. When we come back, we have Danielle Kozinich on Two Dudes in a Kitchen. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back at Two Dudes in the Kitchen. Wells Adams, Tyler Florence hanging out with you. And we have now on the show, Danielle Kuzinich. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Really good. Um, we're sad to hear that your wine bar in San Francisco is closing. Well, the parklet's closing. The full okay. wine bar is not closing. Oh, thank God. So tell us what happened, because I was I was reading that there was uh, like some vandalism. It's been a long road, to be honest with you. We opened the parklet in March of 21. Uh, We've had a bunch of small vandalism break-ins, but on New Year's Eve of last year, we had a person fully break into it while I was out Mm. of town. 
I got a call from the fire department down the street that it had been destroyed. And the guy over the course of multiple hours um, basically dismantled it. Uh, we had to, it took us about a month to rebuild it. So that was that. We reopened it again in January 22, version two. But over the course of the last year, it just keeps getting broken into. It keeps getting vandalized. We keep trying to find ways to lock it down even better. Uh, but it just seems like if there's a will, there's a way and they'll get in somehow. So the parklet phenomenon, you know, was our outdoor dining space during the pandemic and so grateful for the opportunity to pivot and have something to pivot to uh, instead of having, mm -hmm. you know, you know, 25% occupancy ruling for a while and then 50%, at least, you know, having the outdoor space felt so positive because people were cool with it. You know, it's like at least they could go out to dinner and, and kind of sit outside and feel like they were, you know, socially distancing and still enjoying themselves at the same time. And it was such, such an uplifting thing. And now I feel like, especially in New York, right, where the parklet phenomenon has really become, you know, uh, the, the new sort of um, additional dining room. So it's almost like opening up a restaurant mm -hmm. inside of a restaurant you already opened. At our restaurant, Wayfair Tavern, around the corner uh, from, from Wine Society, um, we luckily get a chance to take over um, Leedsdorf Avenue. So we have an additional 80 seats outside. Uh, but that parklet, I'm telling you, like I, it, I, I love it. And then I kind of hate it because we literally have to break <laughs> it down every single night and like load it up into the main dining room uh, on the floor. Mm -hmm. So you have to break it down every night, set it up every single day and kind of do this thing over and over again. And, and I, I think, you know, having this sort of vulnerability because you, you want to make it nice, you want to put some money into it, but you literally have part of your dining room sitting out unprotected. For us, like, I don't know if you've actually seen or the parklet in person, but we turned it into a living room. The parklet has two fireplaces, four chandeliers. All the furniture is really nice and swanky. And um, I mean, I have probably spent a total of close to $75,000, $80,000 on this between yeah. building it, rebuilding it. Same thing. You know, then you look at the labor dollars because we have to do the same thing. We put all the furniture out. We break it all down on the days that it's raining. It's not super usable. It is because it has a roof on it, but you know, same thing where we have to bring in the furniture, put it inside. So if it is raining and we're not able to utilize it, we still have to find a way to like tuck it away or put it out there. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, ours, we have these big boards that go over the front of it. There's like master locks. I mean, it, it's a whole production to set it up and break it down every day. Um, and it, it, it's sad because I do really like the parklet phenomenon. I mean, it reminds me of Europe. I spend a lot of time in Europe and it's a very European outdoor dining vibe. So you, you're going to break it down and then not reopen the parklet outside. And I, I think a lot of restaurant tours are kind of moving past that because it is, um, you know, a lot of extra labor, right? Because you have to have mm -hmm. extra wait staff on, on board. You, do you feel like you're happy to put it behind you uh, with all the you know damage that kind of came along with it or and just move forward with what you got? Mixed feelings. Yeah. Big time mixed feelings. Um, you know, it's been a really special place to a lot of people. You know, I've got this group of ladies that are in their 80s and 90 years old that come every single Tuesday and sit out there. They have a standing reservation they have for almost two years. Um, they're there every Tuesday at five o'clock. Um, and so it's been a really special place. We've got a lot of incredible memories. Um, like I said, you should probably come check it over if you're still in San Francisco before we break it down. Um, it's a cool space. It's a really, really unique space. And so part of it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, I put, I personally designed it, helped build it, do all the things. So putting it behind me, it, there's a love-hate relationship with it. Um, 
I will definitely be happy not to worry about it being broken into, but I'm going to, mm -hmm. you know, from a revenue standpoint, miss the space. Um, seeing the expression on people's faces when they're just wowed by it. Well, and, and for a lot of people who are listening to this, because uh, it was a phenomenon that you know was taking place coast to coast as the answer uh, to the pandemic when restaurants could open, uh, but they could only open with outdoor dining. And then you know a lot of restaurants who didn't even necessarily have outdoor dining started to figure out what they could do to build a dining room quickly, and they uh, they were. Uh, anointed as a parklet, right? And it's like this outdoor kind of cafe space that was designed and built. Um, you know, the first generation were just sort of kind of crude, and then people started <laughs> put some money into it, and they and they they yeah. became like really really nice. And so right now, our revenue, you know, at Wayfair Tavern is better than it was in 2019 because of the additional seating capacity we have outside. And and so I, I I'd give it another shot to be honest with you before I before I break it down or just try to figure out how to you know set a better mousetrap for somebody yeah. who wants to vandalize it, right? I mean, like better security, security cameras, you know, um, private security guards, like whatever would just, you know, keep your, you know, protect your revenue and protect your investment. Uh, but San Francisco loves it. I mean, it, it's such a, a beautiful idea. I mean, it's just like mm -hmm. beautiful creativity. It feels fun. Um, it's a great spot downtown, the financial district. Um, I'm glad we're neighbors um, around yeah. the corner. It's a good neighborhood to be in. And uh, um, I, I don't know if, if I were you, if I would throw in the towel. It's tough. I mean, outside of hiring private security, I don't really know how much more we could do. I mean, it's like Fort Knox as much as it possibly can be being able to have it open at night or during the day. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see. I've had a lot of, of course, a lot of support post um, the articles coming out about it closing. And I have a meeting with the city who is trying to convince me not to uh, close it down as well. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, as of now, it's just, you know, We'll see. We'll see what yeah. happens. And connecting with your, your city representative, uh, I think, is a really important way to take uh, to think about that from a security standpoint, because you could just say, listen, we pay taxes here. You know, it's like, where where are the police, you know, protecting yeah. my business that contributes to the community like help. And so I, I, I would definitely, you know, give that a shot. We would miss it. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I think that yeah. that's part of the bigger discussion is the fact that it's not this isn't just about my parklet or about what's happening to me. It's about what's happening all over the city and to a lot of small business or businesses in general. And we need to find a way to deal with the bigger issue at hand. Um, and I think that that is what's been important to me to shed light on the situation versus um, versus it just being about my business. I wanted to talk to you about your business and what you do, which is you are a wine expert and I am not an expert in anything, especially with wine. And we were talking earlier about like, kind of like the do's and don'ts when you go to restaurants and stuff. Do you have advice for how to order like the right bottle of wine when you go out and are celebrating? Yeah. I mean, I think that that if you're not an expert, I think that that's when you lean on the experts, you know, that's what we're here to do. And we're here to help. We're here to make recommendations. Um, you know, our, my wine bar, you know, we have, bottles of wine that start at $32 and we have bottles of wine that are over $10,000 a bottle. Um, but I think when you're going out and if you're, doesn't matter what price point you're looking in, you know, talk to the team, talk to the team. That's what we're here to do because we can make the recommendations for you. Um, you know, and that's how you learn. You know, you can talk to them about what you like to drink, what you enjoy about certain wines, what you don't like about certain ones. And that is, we're educated to be able to help guide you in the right direction, no matter what price point it's in. 
And I, I think the wine the wine journey is always really interesting when when people are approached with a wine list at a restaurant because sometimes it can be really daunting. And I think in a lot of ways it's a name brand oriented at first. Is it a label that you recognize, right? And I always tell people to really, you know, focus on the grape first, right? So if, if you really like fall in love with something, fall in love with Cab, fall in love with Pinot, fall in love with Zen, fall in love with Super Tuscan, you know, fall in love with, you know, with, with French Burgundies, fall in love with, with a specific grape varietal, and then explore like a region and, 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 and try your hardest to take really good notes or take pictures with your camera. And that way you can kind of build up a memory bank of things that you really, really like. And, and if you love something, pick up a case of it, you know, it's always really nice to have, you know, a good talking point at a cocktail party at your house, or if you're opening up a bottle by the fireplace at your house of like a wine, that's got a specific story about something fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely think also like try things you've never heard of. I think that's the only way that you learn and you get to explore your palate. Okay. So everybody that at home, you know, who loves a really good glass of wine and is always sort of, you know, figuring out what they want to serve for a dinner party uh, or, or how they want to build uh, a wine collection from scratch. Like what would be your kind of go-to, we don't have to like talk specificity with like brands or whatever, but like if you had to build a wine collection from scratch, red and white, what would, what's your go-to? What do you have to have? That's yeah. I mean, you've got to mix it up. I mean, if you're starting from scratch, you start with what you like, you know, with red and white. If you like Italian wine, start with Italian wines and start exploring to Spain or Italy, you know, or France and um, but I think you've got to have the staples, you know, California, Italy, France, Spain, Portugal. Portugal is the one on a lot of people's lists that I think that should be on more people's lists. Um, I do love Portuguese wines, um, but start small and grow. You know, don't over don't overthink it that you have to have everything. Building a wine collection takes a lot of a lot of time, but um, start with what you love. Well, it's what about you, man? What do you, what do you like to drink? Wine. <laughs> is it wet? <laughs> it's. It tastes like wine. I did actually have someone ask me for a wet wine one time. A wet one? Twice. Yeah. Th those wine. ones are better than the dry ones for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's funny because Sarah and I have different, we both like red wine, but I'm more of like a Pinot Noir guy. And then she likes a big gun. She likes a like a big cab or like a, like a oh, yeah. high alcohol content Zinfandel. I call them slutty wines. Yeah. Yeah. My wife likes slutty wines. That makes... Yeah. That makes total yeah. sense. <laughs> <laughs> Tell everyone where they need to go to visit your eyes store. San Francisco Wine Society is 408 Merchant Street in the Financial District. Yep. It's uh, four blocks away from uh, Wayfair Tavern. So, you yeah. know, pop, pop around the corner and come see us. Yeah. I was just there the other night. You had a good time? Yeah, we had a good Always. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, we're, uh, we are 12 years old. I know. I know. Right. I've been in this location for 12 years in February. Congratulations. Yeah. And and, yeah. and heartbreaking to hear about your parklet, but um, I, I I definitely wouldn't let them win. I would I would keep at it and uh, just kind of build a better mousetrap or put better security cameras up or any, anything you can do just to kind of keep the vibrancy of the neighborhood open. Because I think it's really important to not let them win. You know, yeah. you, so we have to because I, I think restaurants are culture. I think restaurants. Uh, a thousand percent restaurants make up the city without a question. And and so we in specifically in San Francisco really pride ourselves on, you know, great hospitality and, and great food and beverage and great restaurants and great, you know, restaurant society. I'd say at it because you're a very valued member of the community. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. We thank you for being on the show, Danielle. Good luck with everything. And next time I'm up there, I'm gonna I'm, I'm coming in. Yeah. And yeah, I'm bringing my wife who likes slutty wines. Perfect. <laughs>
<laughs> my best friend likes the same. So yeah. <laughs> bye, you guys. Thanks. Take care. Well, I learned a lot about wine. And, you know, I hope this podcast gets popular enough that we can go to her store and um, order that $10,000 bar of wine. I think we will, man. I enjoy getting together with you every week and talking about food and culture and restaurants and yummy stuff. And and we're getting really, really good guests in. And I I think we're taking off, my friend. Two dudes in the kitchen. And if you guys are listening out there and haven't rated our show, that would be awesome if you could go do that. Five stars. Leave us a review. Any questions you have, we can answer them there. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Later, Tyler. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes in a Kitchen. Make sure to write us a review and leave us five stars. <laughs> we'll take that. And we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.